How often are you putting video content out? Every single day. So I started with some YouTube, then I went into some Facebook, but then I decided Instagram is going to be my thing. Welcome to this week's episode of Hey Homegirl. Hey Homegirls, on this week's episode, we are in the windy city of Chicago with Diana Machitin of Cobalt Banker. Diana has taken the suburbs of Chicago by storm, and on this week's episode, she is going to share with us her very inspirational story about growing up in the Ukraine, relocating to the United States, and in under 10 years, building a very successful real estate business that now has around 80 transactions a year. To build this business, Diana has leaned into all the uncomfortable parts of our industry. She took on video early in her career. She has never been afraid of door knocking, cold calling, reaching out to expires, or for sale by owners. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode and hear her story. Thank you for coming back to this week's episode. I'm so excited to be in the Windy City, Chicago with Diana Matichin. She is here to speak with us today and share all of the insights on how she has become one of the top agents in that city. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sarah. Hello from the Windy City. City. I've only been to Chicago twice. I went very early in my career. I had opened a Remax franchise. I just thought, oh, yeah, what the heck? I've been in real estate a couple of years. Let's buy a franchise. And oh. they have their giant convention there. And it was just such a beautiful city to travel to. Very nice. Especially yeah. when, during the warm months. Nobody says yeah. that in the cold months. <laughs> it was in March, so it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. How long have you lived there? So it's been about 14 years or so. Yes. Yeah. And how many years have you been in real estate? Nine years in real estate, going my 10th year, yes. And what did you do before that? I was a waitress for some period, which helped me learn some English. And then I worked in the office. I was an executive assistant, hit my glass ceiling, was looking for something else. Nobody would hire me for anything else. So what the heck? I went into real estate. <laughs> they're lost, right? Completely they're lost. So I think, and I was taught this very early on when I went to broker training at Remax, that people in the service industry make the absolute best real estate agents, mm. you know, and I, I waitress my whole time through college and growing up, my kids are waiters and waitresses now. And I think it's so true because when you're in that line of service, you really understand how to deal with people in all crazy emotions. You know what I mean? And we have to do the same thing, right? Oh, hundred percent. Customer service. That's all. That's what it's about. It's not about really selling houses. It's about servicing the clients in the best possible way you can. The only problem I think is that when you're a server, you're used to instant gratification. You're used oh. to making that money every single night, getting to take it home. And now here we are. And it's like 30, 60, 96 months later, we might get paid, right? That's right. That's yeah. a good point, actually. It's so interesting to think about the differences, but the similarities are there too. So you jumped into real estate. Have you always been with Cobalt Banker or were you at another brokerage beforehand? I'm very loyal. Yes, I've been always with Cobalt Banker. I feel like uh, switching a company is not, not something I'm looking to do. It's too much. It's most important to focus on your business and what you can do versus what the company can do for you. 100%. And I think as agents, that's a really important fact to keep in the back of our minds because you're in a city. There are so many real estate agents in that city, but the best way to make yourself different and stand out is to focus on what you can do for that client. Mm -hmm. So if you're leading with that and not leaning into your 
you want to lean into the tools that your brokerage has and Cobalt Banker is such a phenomenal company, but really trying to figure out how you can make a better experience for your clients. That is just going to, that's what helped launch your career and has brought you all the success. Yes. So you moved here from the Ukraine. You did not know anyone. Correct. Yes, it was my dream. I, I watched uh, American movies when I was in Ukraine and just the hustle and, you know, like when they show New York and everybody's rushing somewhere and I just dreamt of, of being here and, and doing the hustle. So I always knew I wanted to come here since I was a teenager and that dream came live. So I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I wasn't really thinking because I feel like if I did it in this age right now with overthinking and I wouldn't do it anyway, but you have to have a little bit of that naivety and not knowing what could go wrong. And that's brought me here. Oh, that's amazing. And so you jump into real estate. You don't know anyone. How did you get your business started? As a brand new agent, what were some of the things that you did to build that strong foundation? Well, I did start with a lot of uh, going to classes because I um, I guess YouTube was, I think, back in the day, but it wasn't as much as, as right now. I feel like there are so many resources and you can put in real estate agent training and you'll find hundreds and, and thousands of videos on what you can do to get business. It really wasn't like that nine years ago. So I went to a lot of classes and they said, go do open houses. I did open houses. They said, go door, uh, door knock, I door knock. And then somebody said, well, there are these people that they already listed their home. They didn't sell. So you can find their phone number and you could call them and see if they're looking to sell again. And I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so the first day I did that, I actually scheduled a listing appointment and I ended up getting that listing appointment a few days later. And I felt like that was a sign that this is exactly what I have to do. So I focused on a lot of cold calling. And that was my gateway into all of the 11 transactions first year, then 30 transactions the year after, and then it went up higher and higher and higher. And now we do at least 70, 80 sales a year. Unbelievable. And that's pretty much in a short amount of time. I mean, I know agents that have worked in this industry for 10 plus years that they're lucky if they can scale to 30 transactions. So the fact that you're doing 80 mm -hmm. in less than a 10 year period, not knowing anyone in your area just shows how that hustle and drive is something that you've been able to kind of lean into. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. You got to give yourself a pat on the back because that is very well deserved. What's the biggest objection you come up to when you cold call people? The house is off market. We have an agent. That's pretty much it. Either the house is off market or we have an agent. And there are other objections, of course, as um, you can look into sell right now or something else. But those are the two that I've noticed are the biggest ones. It's not that you have to really fight with someone on the other end of the line to try to get them on your side. But I've noticed uh, the more questions you ask, the more information you have, and this may not be the right time for them to sell. So why would I try and persuade them otherwise if they're not ready to sell? But um, I stay in touch. I do a lot of videos. And it's something that I decided to do about three years ago is dive deeper into uh, videos and make that my uh, lead generation pillar. And it helped me convert so many different clients that I wouldn't get otherwise because I called them once and then I got their email. So now they're getting my emails on a weekly basis. I called them a second time. They already knew my name. And sometimes six years later, they call me to list their $2 million house. True story. It, it's an amazing journey through, through video to try to convert a lot of clients that maybe wouldn't come otherwise. Yeah. And you have this amazing personality. So I think when, and that resonates through your video. So it helps people get to know, like, and trust you before, you know, they really even work with you. Thank you for that. Well, I think it's just doing video because most people these days, they don't do video. Even if they do, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's in three months. 
And, you know, not necessarily just a video of a house, but of you as a person, people see who you are, they, they can sit with you and just doing video. I feel like that's already standing apart. Doesn't matter what your personality is. There are four different personality styles out there. You're going to attract the 25% that really do resonate with you, no matter if you do videos or not. So why not do them and attract more of them? So that's kind of how I looked at it. And, you know, we grew from there too. How often are you putting video content out? Every single day. So I started with some YouTube, then I went into some Facebook, but then I decided Instagram is going to be my thing. So on Instagram, every single day, we do uh, a post. Typically it's a reel and maybe four to five stories. And now I'm going into Twitter. So Twitter, I'm trying to post two, three times a, a day because it, it's a noisy environment. You kind of get to have to stay on top of it. And plus we post the same video on Google Shorts, on Google Updates, YouTube shorts and all of that. Yeah. Are you moving it to threads too? No. The new Instagram <laughs> I know it's just one thing after another. For me, I need to lean more into LinkedIn on my to-do list from the beginning of the year and I keep falling short. So it's you know, that's a good one too. I feel like that I would add that to the list at the end of the year too. I, I, it's a great one. Yeah. And it's nice because you already have all of this context. It, con content. So you can mm -hmm. kind of drip that in to start out with. Exactly. Yeah. I love what you said a few minutes ago when you talked about making these phone calls, whether you're cold calling, you're calling expired. You brought up a really good point that you don't have to convince them, but that you ask a lot of questions. And I think so many agents miss the bar. We go in and we have our scripts or we have how we want to communicate, but you leave out that curiosity part. And when you lean into the curiosity and the questions, why their property became expired, what type of activity they had, what they liked about working with their last agent, what they mm -hmm. didn't like working about their last agent, why they were thinking of selling. When you lean into those questions and that curiosity, it helps build that relationship with the person on the other end, even if they don't know you yet. Absolutely. Then send them a handwritten card mentioning what they said and you know, send them an email too with a video, send them, re record them a bomb bomb video, all of that, all these small things. It's like, I've heard Simon Sinek say, you go to the gym, you come back, look at the mirror. What do you see? You see nothing, no improvement. You go second day, you see no improvement again. It's it's the same. You call, you call, you call, you call today, tomorrow. You may not get to anyone today, but the first call tomorrow morning is going to be a listening appointment. But if I didn't do the call, I wouldn't get the listening appointment. I wouldn't have the appointment. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We're not quite finished yet, but as the home girl of your hometown, I would love to pass the mic to you so that you can share your story and some of your secrets with the homegirl community. To apply, please go to howtobeahomegirl.com in the show notes. So when a seller says to you, you know, their house is recently expired, no, we don't want to sell right now, or now isn't a good time to sell. What is your favorite way to kind of work on that objection? I completely understand. A lot of people these days are rethinking their decisions because they maybe couldn't find a home. But I guess I'm curious, where would you be looking to move to if you did sell your home? Yeah. Lead with that curiosity. See what their answers are. Very, very good. Very, very good. Put me on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Role played before. <laughs> My favorite thing to do. We have a lot of newer agents that kind of listen to our podcast or come on our YouTube channel. And a lot of newer agents are working with buyers. And so many buyers right now are on the fence because of the way the interest rates are going, because the inventory has been challenging across the country over the last couple of years. What is one of your favorite skills to use to get the buyers off the fence if they're not quite sure if now's the right time? Well, I, I will do the same thing that I said about cold calls. I'm not the one that's going to push because if they are not financially ready to buy a home, I don't think they should be buying a home. If they are paying a thousand 
$1,000 in rent and their mortgage payment is going to be $3,500 and they don't feel like they want to do that, I'm, I'm not the one saying, no, no, you have to do it. If they cannot find a home that they are ready, they have the finances and they can't find a home that would be interesting enough, I always ask them, what is a home that's sold, but you saw it online? It was within your budget. It was within the schools that you wanted to be within, but it's sold already. So you would buy it if it was available. So can you send me that home? They typically have a home like that in mind. And what I'll do is I say, you know what? I'm going to call people who live in that neighborhood. And I want your promise that you will work with me on a home purchase so that I invest my time, my resources to get you that house. I'm going to send letters, going to send text messages, emails. I'm going to call and I will find you that house. Maybe something comes on the market while I'm doing that, but I need your promise that you're going to buy with me and that you will consider the house that I find for you. Okay. And a lot of times people can, cannot say no to that because they really appreciate the extra effort. And I feel like that's such an easy way to find a listing too, but also a real house for a buyer. It happened three times this year where I called, there were like three streets that my buyers wanted. And I called everyone on those three streets or not a lot of people, like 60 people. So you can do that in a day. And one of them was like about to list the house and they end up showing it to us and it was under contract. Yeah. And that is something that you wouldn't have gotten unless you were putting yourself out there. So kudos to you, friend. That's awesome. Well, and the buyer would end up paying 3000 more than what they paid for that house. So it's always being resourceful. There is always something that you can bring out to the buyers. If there is absolutely nothing and you call and there's still absolutely nothing. Staying in touch is, is important because if you forget about the buyers, they will forget about you. They'll go to open houses. But um, I feel like if you build that relationship and they see that you're working for them, there is no way that they wouldn't buy a home with you. Maybe it's not going to be today, but it will be in, in a month or so and you'll still get the, the business. Yeah. COVID must have been very hard for you because Chicago shut down hard. In a way, but we were still uh, considered to be uh, essential workers. Yeah. So we did a lot of real estate then. It was very interesting time. Uh, was definitely a lot more conservative uh, compared to some other states. But you know what? People needed houses more than ever. So it was uh, it was an interesting time for sure. Do you feel that you're able to enjoy life a little bit more now this year than you were? Because I feel like for so many of us, it was like, we didn't know if we could do business tomorrow. So it was like, go, 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 go as much as you could. And there were so many people, probably even more so with you in the city who were looking to shift or to go to the suburbs or things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was just run, run, run. There was actually a big uh, blessing for us in the suburbs, so ma mainly in the suburbs, because we still have that trend of mainly moving uh, people moving out uh, from the city to the suburbs instead of buying in the city, they're buying in the suburbs. So there was a blessing in disguise for us. I did get more time for the family, but it was not thanks to COVID or not. It was more about uh, growing the team. I finally kind of got, got over the fact that I don't want to be a lone wolf anymore with an assistant. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hire my first buyer's agent. And that freed up a lot of my time. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you because you talked about, you know, your first year and how you went from 11 to 30 and now you're, you know, up between 70, 80 transactions a year. So what does your structure look like? Who do you have on board to kind of help you with that? At this point, I have uh, three other licensed agents. So I have um, me, an assistant, then I have a marketing person that's an employee and then three other licensed agents. I um, was rethinking this whole model. Should I go big and keep hiring and basically give, give away all of the buyers? 
years, I personally actually don't didn't like because I felt like if I did only listings, I felt removed from the market. I do get to see the inventory, but I don't get to see the buyers and what they're saying and, and how inventory is going fast and the multiple offers and winning the offers, all of that. So I, I do like still doing that. What I did change though, is I decided to focus on my production too, because it's very easy as a team leader to be focused outwardly if I'm focusing just on my agents and especially the agents that I tend to attract are brand, brand new. So they don't know how to start a search on MLS and uh, I have to teach them a lot of things. It takes a lot of time and then it took away from my production. So what I realized is that I have to be really good at time management, but my calling time is my prospecting time has to be a number one thing and it has to be first thing in the morning. If I don't have it first thing in the morning, it's just doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't matter if I have a full day and I have no appointments, it just stuff keeps coming up on the email that I have to keep handling. So eat the frog, do the first thing that's the most uncomfortable thing is reaching out to people, calling people in the morning, first thing in the morning. That's one of my all-time favorite books. And I reflect on it all the time when I have agents in my office that come to me with problems. Some of them will say, well, I'm going to wait till later in the day to handle it. And I'm like, no, you got to handle it right away. Cause if not, it's going to drag down that high vibration that you want mm-hmm. all day long. It will influence everything else. Yeah. What um, count to uh, five backward or five, four, three, two, one and do it. Get it done. Eat that frog. When you decided to bring on your first buyer's agent, was it difficult for you to give up control or did you have a system in place as to how you were going to handle and hand off clients? Uh, no, I did not have systems. And I, I can't say that I have a lot of systems right now. I have a lot of videos now that help. My biggest hang up was that the agent's going to learn everything and then run away. So I said, I guess that some standards for me is that my agents are going to be with me on a two-year basis minimum. So if we're starting together, this is what my, this is what my expectation is out of the agent. And then the agent will tell me what their expectation is out of uh, being in the team. So we'll set parameters. So what's, what's, what's okay. What's not okay. And I think that helped me overcome that, that yes, they may leave after two years, but it did help me in my business. It helped me having more time with my family. It helped me be eat three times a day or two times a day. It's it's hard. And have sanity. And have sanity. Shut off time for your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I completely get that. You know, we're coming up upon the end of the year. And so it's always a great time to reflect on the things that we've accomplished for this new year. But also I start in September to get ready for the next year. Where Mm. do you think the market is going in 2024? And what are you looking forward to? I think it's going to be just as competitive. For some reason, I don't have a feeling that the prices will go down. I don't think have a feeling that the interest rates go down either. We have a very big generation, a millennial generation that is looking for a house right now. And it's a very large sum of people that are getting married or having babies. They need a backyard. They need another space. So I feel like that's why suburban markets are thriving right now so much. And city market is great too. It's just, I'm in the suburbs more, more and I compare how it was eight years ago and how it is right now. It's a very different market. And I feel like you have to be really strong in your communication, but also you have to know how you're going to find your listings because you can get buyers and they could be looking and they could change their their mind. You have a client who's a seller and they need to go somewhere. They're downsizing or they're moving because of the job. It's a completely different scenario. And you kind of, you you dictate your time is going to be in the business. And if you're just with buyers and you have no listings, it's it's a very sad story at the end of the year, because you'll see, you'll you'll see that you were very busy, but uh, the bank account may not show the business that you felt when you were working. It might not reflect the amount of hours that you work because Mm -hmm. it takes a lot to run around and show 
properties and to write offers that don't get accepted. Exactly. That's why my agents are not buyer's agents. They are seller's agents too. And I said that as in the beginning, it's great to have buyers. Buyers are easier sometimes to come. A lot of my buyers are my age. So we kind of know each other. And you know, that's a blessing for me because in the beginning, I would love to have some buyers, but I had no buyers either. All my, all my, uh, we're renting and we're not thinking of buying at all. So buyers are great. But at the end of the day, if you have the inventory, you control your time, you control your business. And it's just how you attract more buyers too. So having a plan of how you're going to get listings, it's very important for 2024. Very, very good at our listeners. Thank you. I'd like to end each episode and ask each of the female agents that come on, what is one piece of advice that you would give to empower other females that are looking to get into our industry, that are struggling in our industry, that have only been in our industry a couple of years? Good question. Everything is in your hands. And that's why you can't put them down. <laughs> you can't to happen. I guess at one point, if struggling, you have to assess the situation. What is it that you could do that could change the situation tomorrow? Could you do more phone calls? Could you just get out and knock on doors, even if it doesn't get you a listing, but you have good conversations? Could you do two open houses next weekend? Not one. Could you make extra phone call when you're not feeling like you want to. I feel like that's that empowers you when you know that you're in charge and you can turn the situation around just by doing a little bit more. Yeah, it's such good advice. I've spent the last 23 years waking up every single morning morning unemployed. Yes. Every morning I remind myself that I'm unemployed and that I have to do what I need to do to find the business. That's right. And when you do sell a house that you just lost your best prospect, so you better go find a new one. Yeah. I have a very special coach in my life that's not a real state coach. And, you know, she says all the time, we are the energetic moves. We're the energetic match to the moves that we make. Mm. And you can look at that in every aspect. You can look at it as if you're having a great day, it's because that's the energy you're putting into having that great day. If you're having a bad day, or if you're not where you want to be financially or with your transactions, it's more than likely because of the energy that you're putting into that situation. Well said. Definitely. Where focus goes, energy flows. So I guess you have to figure out what your priority is and do everything towards that goal. Thank you so much for sharing your inspirational story today. I think that, you know, whether you live in the United States, whether you were born here, whether you relocated here, getting into the real estate industry is difficult enough. And to hear stories from people like you who moved to this area, knew absolutely nobody and have been able to grow such a successful business in only 10 years is just unbelievable and so important for people people to hear. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you yeah. for having me on. It's such a great podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks at Summit. Yes. All right. I'll see you then.